Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you as well. Uh, we're excited for our BBS that's starting up tonight. So I invite you to pray for our week here with our kids. Uh, it's something that we look forward to every year. Uh, we're going to continue in our journey through this new series called Ready. It is really about ministering life to those who are in crisis. Uh, last week, we talked about injustice how God has just created us to be ministers to those who are being oppressed. And the big idea last week was that there's like, dude, injustice is everywhere. We know that. Uh, we can't hide from it, but surely we were commanded to get messy in it as believers. And so today, we're going to venture into the area of poverty. We're going to be talking about being ready to help the poor. Um, so we're going to walk through that today. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were in Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati, besides their sports teams, Cincinnati is one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, there's a place in Cincinnati called Over the Rhine. Uh, it's kind of a trendy place, but it's not a place that you want to be at night. There's a lot of crime and violence in the area of Over the Rhine. But during the day, there's some fun things to do. And there's this place called Finley Market in Over the Rhine that is just gorgeous. It is, a, it is just a huge farmer's market. And as a man, just have an affinity for like a meat counter. And like this thing stretches for miles. And I just can, giddy in spirit, I walk in. I didn't know they could do that with meat. Just walk in miles and miles of, of meat, sausages and brats and steaks, oh my, and just love it. But over the Rhine, the area is just full of stories of hard luck, full of stories of just difficulties in life. And if you're a little like um, suspicious, maybe not the right word, but I just, I like to know what people's stories are. I like, I kind of am curious about how they got to that point in life. Like, were there some things that were their fault? Were there some things that just didn't go their way? Were there some societal issues that brought some hardship in life? And so I just found myself to be very um, inquisitive when I was there. When we were there, we had a, a homeless person kind of come up to us and ask us for some money. Uh, we were there with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and Marty, who is my father-in-law, gave this person some money and, and walked away. And as we were walking away, I remember him saying like something that I just, I just still haven't forgotten to this day. Now, there are lots of things that my father-in-law has said that I've forgotten, but this is not one of those things. Uh, it's really simple, uh, but he was just saying like, look, I'm sure that that guy is going to go buy some alcohol or drugs or whatever with that money. And look, uh, honestly, I think we all have probably had those thoughts in our mind. What's this guy going to do with that money? You know, he's just going to take it and do these things. But then Marty started talking about his dad. And he said, my dad would always give to these people out of the generosity of his heart. And he would say, you know, I'm not going to worry about what they do with this. God will take care of that. I don't want to rob my heart of its integrity and generosity toward the poor. And it's just a short and profound statement. It's stuck with me. And I think the reason why that story has stuck with me for so long is that I would admit that I often can discount people in their situations, that I will confess that there have been times that I've judged people in those situations, that I have written stories about those peoples and the things that have affected their life that has not always caused me to act with the right kind of compassion and understanding. And look, I've had to ask for forgiveness from the Father in that. And while certainly there are people who are out there to scam us, we know, we've been down that road before, there are people who are out there who want to take advantage of us, we have to protect the integrity of our heart and our generosity towards the poor and needy. Not just financially, but whether we give wisdom, understanding, compassion, we have to protect 
that integrity in our heart. And so in talking about being ready, our goal today is that you might be equipped in your heart and your mind to intervene in these areas. And we're going to jump into our text. Our text today is in Deuteronomy 15. I'm going to drift into a few other places, but this will be our main text for today. Uh, but before we start that, I, I just want to address like, just the fact that, you know, look, when we talk about the poor, there may be some of you in this room that say, well, that's me. You know, I'm, I'm poor. And I just want you to know, like, we love that you're here. Like, we, we love that you're here, and we want to do our best as a church to figure out how we take the best care of you, to provide the best understanding. That may not always be material or financial. It may be wisdom and care and love. Uh, but this is a safe place for you. In fact, the church should be the safest place in the entire world for those who are struggling and who are in need. Because our Bible is clear about God's command for us to care and give to the poor. There are over 300 times that we find within our text that God commands us to care for the poor and needy. Here are just a few of those that we're going to lift out of our text. In, in Proverbs, verse 14, it says, whoever, or chapter 14, it says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. And in 1 John 3, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so for the Christian, generosity to the poor and the needy is a core marker of our identity. It is what we should be at our core. Uh, Tertullian, who is an author and a theologian around the time of 150 AD and kind of died in 240 AD, he wrote a lot about the early church. And Tertullian wrote this. He said that pagan temples would take what was donated to them and they would go about having feast and drinking bouts while Christians spent theirs to support and bury the poor people to supply the wants of boys and girls who destitute of, of family and financial need and to care for old people who were confined in their homes. Now, these claims weren't just claimed by Tertullian, a Christian. There were non-Christians, pagans like the Emperor, Emperor Julian, who said he complained that these impious or Galileans, Christians, not only supported their poor, but ours as well. And so as a movement, Christianity has a rich and profound history of being willing to care for those who are down and out, those who are in need. And so that's a significant question that I think we as a church have to ask ourselves. Are we known for our willingness to support and care and love those who are needy? I'll let you answer that question. I'm not going to answer that question today. The big idea today is this. God has called us to serve the poor. Not just to lift them up, but to bring us lower. God has called us to serve the poor, not just to lift them up, but to bring us lower. So it is commanded that we would lift our brothers and sisters up in need, not only for their benefit, but for ours, because charity and generosity just keeps our egos in check. They check our arrogance at the door, and they have the ability to, to check our desire our desires at the door. And so let's go ahead and, and look into our text in Deuteronomy today, starting in 15, verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. 
But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, well, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Now to bring some background just into this particular piece of scripture. Moses is speaking about this idea of not waiting for the seventh year, the year of release what he's referring to is the sabbatical year. Now, when, when the Jews established their home in the Holy Land, they worked in seven-year cycles. And so on the seventh year, the first day of the seventh year, they would have what we call a sabbatical year, and its term would be called Shemitah. And that, that term, the sabbatical year, would mean three things. It would mean this. If you were a farmer, and if you were in agriculture, for six years you would sow and plow and reap your land, but on the seventh year, you would let your land rest. And if you're a vineyard owner, on the seventh year, you would let your vineyard rest. Now, can you imagine farmers in this room of, of a seventh year where you just let your field rest and not take any income off of that? That would be hard to do. The, the other area that Shemitah kind of commanded a, a, a release or sabbatical in was in debts. And so if you were a Jew in this time on the seventh year, if you had anybody who owed you money that was inside the Jewish culture, a friend or a family, no matter what the size of the debt or the reason, you were to forgive that debt and release them of that debt. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, could you imagine that working in today's culture? Like, hey, could you borrow, can I borrow some money? All right, I'll see you in seven years. I think that's probably how it would work here. But the third idea in Shemitah would be that, that you would take that year then to refocus your trust and your hope in God. And so when, when Moses is imploring his people not to withhold care from people because of the seventh year, that's what he's talking about, the Shemitah, that you would just would not wait to then. So there's a little background on that. But notice in this verse how kind of Moses starts. He starts by, by going after those who are to serve, to those who are to give. He, he goes after their hearts. Just listen to what he says in here. He says, you shall not harden your heart or, or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient to his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. Like he goes internal here. He goes after our hearts to those who are called to lend, to serve, to care, to be supporters. Because giving and caring and lending and, 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 and ministering to those who are in need is different when you have an attitude of like, I have to do this, compared to an attitude of like, I want to do that. And so here's, here's a learning that we find in this piece of scripture. Understand in the area of, of being ready to help and serve the poor, understand that you get to, not just have to. Like you get to, not just have to. It's obvious that God has commanded us to do these things. There's no denying those things. But how in the past have we done when God has laid out things that we have to do in order to achieve something? Like if you know my history and your history, like not very well. Like the law was given to us so we could understand the standard that God had for us. That, hey, the law is by how by effort we could achieve righteousness. And not one of us was able to keep those things. The law was there to point us to the fact that our hearts are beyond repair. 
and hope, and that we needed to look to a Savior to do for us what we cannot. And so given our history, how do we think we're going to do when God lays out something like this and expect we're going to do it just because we have to do it? The reality is, is probably not very well. But thanks to Christ in both of our salvation and in these areas of service, because of what he's done for us, because of his sacrifice, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, we get to do things because of him living inside of us that moves us to an attitude of like, I get to do these things because God's desires become our desires as we move closer and closer to Jesus. And so our prayers should be directed internally towards ourself, towards our heart and soul, that the Spirit of God would move in us as we understand what Christ's sacrifice affords us in stature to God and in freedom, that we would move in Him towards a, a better understanding of, of how we serve the poor and why we get to the serve, why do we get to serve the poor? We serve them because we get to. And so as God transforms our hearts, it creates a reality and a life that gets to do things, not just has to do things. And so in, in, this, in Galatians, in the second chapter, Paul is kind of defending his ministry uh, against some people in the Galatian, uh, Galatia, yeah, Galatia area. Uh, there's an argument amongst them that Paul is, where is Paul's authority? And Paul's saying, look, the apostles kind of confirmed me, and this is what they said. They, they gave me this, this is the only instruction they gave me. Only they asked to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul's heart knew that he got to care for the poor, and he was eager to do it. Think about this. How much do you enjoy or go out of your way to do the things in your life that you have an attitude of like, I have to do this? compared to the enjoyment and focus and passion that surrounds the things that you get to do. That's like a night and day difference. Like, and we who are homeowners, like, you, you know this tension. Like, there are things that you have to do as homeowners every year that you, just, you have to do those things. Like, we are supposed to be ch like checking our gutters on an annual basis. Like, we have to do that. But, like, ah, like that hasn't happened for a while in my life. Like, I just don't like to do that. But if you tell me, like, hey, mow your yard, like, I get to mow my yard. Like, I don't know. I get to sit on my tractor and put my earphones in and listen to a podcast or whatever it is. The difference in those things is the attitude of my heart. And so when we come into an area like serving the poor and the needy, we have to come into it with a different attitude than I just have to do these things because having an I have to do attitude just creates pity. And poor people don't want your pity. They want your relationship, yes, absolutely. They want your prayers, of course. The problem with approaching somebody out of pity and staying there, look, pity can cause us to act, but we shouldn't stay there. The problem with coming and staying in pity is that it creates a level where you become their savior and they are the project. And that's not what Christ would want us to do in that relationship. So we need to challenge our hearts in this area that we would go internal and pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a love and a gladness of heart in these areas of serving the poor. All the works that we do in this area, that they would start with an I get to attitude. Now look, here's the reality. It's going to be hard pressed for you to pray and say, all right, God, I really want to do this. Give me a gladness of heart. Here's what you need to do. You need to walk in this. God has commanded us to do these things, right? Sometimes we have to do things because God has called us to be obedient to these things. But as we do these things, we pray that, God, would you create in me a gladness 
as I do these things? Would you create in me a love for doing these things? A second thing that I think this verse teaches us about the area of being ready to help the poor is that we have to challenge our perspective on the poor. And challenge our perspective on the poor. If we allow our hearts and our minds to go unchecked by the Word and by the Holy Spirit, what can pop up are some unhealthy attitudes toward the poor and some unhealthy responses to their plight. Uh, That's true in anything that we do. But look, especially when it comes to the poor. God tells us within this verse that the poor are always going to exist. He says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Why will there always be poor in the land? Well, I mean, what do you expect inside of a world that is full of broken people on a broken creation where we're not whole in our relationship with the creator without Christ? This stuff is going to happen. Greed and selfishness is just rooted in our lives and inside our culture, and the poor are always going to exist inside of that. And we are commanded to serve and care for them. Listen to how the early church went about doing this. It's just a, the early church is just a great model for us to try to get back to. In Acts 4, speaking about the early church, Luke says this. He says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, was poverty present outside of their church? Absolutely. But this church was absolutely just compelled. They had an inner resolve to care for those who were in need amongst them. And so I I think this is where we need a gut check, like a heart change. Like many of us in this room, including myself, somehow came up believing that there was a verse somewhere in the Bible that said, God helps them who helps themselves. Like, I don't know where that came from. Probably from the same understanding, there's a verse that says cleanliness is next to godliness. It is not in our pages of scripture. That does not exist. God talks about fools, and he talks about foolish people squandering what God has given to us, but he has never said anything to the effect of what you need to do before I can help you is to get your stuff together. Because if that was true, like we're all doomed in here, right? He never says that. God never gives us an out in dealing with the poor. Not one. He never says, give to the poor, care for the poor, but only if. Nowhere in Scripture does he say that, says that. And so here's where I'm asking you to join me in this area. Like, can we just admit our shortcomings? Can we admit our failings in here? Why do we continue to see failure in a negative light when it comes to our walk with Christ? Failures are there to motivate us forward into the flourishing of life that God has for us. It is okay to come to Christ and admit our failings and our shortcomings that we might move forward in those things. And so what we do is we... we we understand this in, in some ways. There are, there are many of us in this room who have been given by God money, financial need, wisdom, skill sets. But what our broken flesh of sin wants to do is take all of those blessings and then believe that we somehow earned them all. That we have somehow created ourselves as a self-made person. That we have earned our financial well-being, our success in life. But do you know that Scripture absolutely speaks against that, directly against that, on not just one occasion, but many. It would remind us that there is nothing that we have that first wasn't given to us by our Father. You and I, friend, were blessed with opportunity by a loving Father 
who equipped you and gave you skills and talents and abilities to take advantage of those opportunities. You have earned nothing, but you have been given everything. And look, that's not to knock your hard work in that. But again, your creator gave you that work ethic, not you. And what this toxic belief about a self-made person creates is an overarching apathy to the poor because, well, they just need to try as hard as I did. They need to try harder. If they would just do what I did, that this, we get this inner belief where if they just do this or they quit this or they go here, then life would be better for them. But who made us their God? Like, who made us their God? Who made us have the ability to judge them instead of just getting involved in their lives? And so certainly we all need to do some heart work in this area to counteract what our culture has fooled us into believing in the area of the poor. And so I certainly ask that we would do that today because Jesus is so for the poor. He has a heart for the poor. In the Beatitudes, there are eight different teachings in the Beatitudes, and they are just essentially teachings for the believer to have a blessed life, a supreme life here and in the future. He says this in Luke 6 in these Beatitudes. He says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. God has called us to work with the poor, to care for the poor, to give what we have to the poor, and, and to love the poor because the poor in life and spirit know the depths of what it means to hope in God. Just think about some of the commonalities between those who are poor on this earth and what an authentic relationship with Christ looks like. Now, we're going to talk about the true poor. And look, I know that that can be a difficult subject in America. Sometimes we wonder with entitlement and, and where everybody's at, like, what, who is really poor in this country and how do I deal with those things? We're going to talk about what it means to be biblically poor. And true poor people, this is the kind of attitudes that they would have. And I want you to play a little game for, for me here. We're going to give 10 examples of these things. I want you to think about how many of these 10 could you write after each one of these sentences and so should the children of God, okay? So let's go through 10 of these. Commonalities between poor and believers. The poor know they are in urgent need of redemption, and so should the children of God, right? The poor know not only their dependence on God and on powerful people, but also their interdependence with one another. The poor rest in their security not on things, Rest of their security, on, not on things, but on people. The poor have no exaggerated sense of their own importance and no exaggerated need of privacy. The poor expect little from competition and much from cooperation. The poor can distinguish between necessities and luxuries. The poor can wait because they have acquired a kind of dogged patience born of acknowledged dependence. The fears of the poor are more realistic and less exaggerated because they already know that one can survive great suffering and want. The poor, when the poor have the gospel preached to them, it sounds like good news and not like a threat or a scolding. And the poor can respond to the call of the gospel with a certain abandonment and uncomplicated totality because they have, no, they have so little to lose and are ready for anything. That is so true of the poor, but it is so true of us in our relationship with God. Every one of those things should say, and so should the children of God. And this is why God has such a heart for the poor. 
Not just because we might lift them up, but because we might be made lower in the process of caring and helping. That we might be humbled in that process. That our hearts would be reminded of how much we need God. That we would find ourselves poor in spirit as some are poor in lifestyle. And so the last thing that I want to speak about in this area of being ready to serve the poor is just that we have to listen to the Spirit and learn. As a follower of Christ, we know that we have the Spirit of the Most High God alive and active in ourselves in a way that moves us away from sin and towards God. It is there to give us the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not only that, but the Spirit is there to direct us towards the things that God has called us as Christians to do in life. His desires are communicated through the Spirit of God living inside of us that we might act. And when it comes to dealing with the poor, we must start with seeking advice from the Spirit. That we would ask questions like, Lord, where do you want me today? Father, how, how can I be of service to you today? Lord, where do you want me to go today? Like, when's the last time that we've asked our heart that question? When's the last time that we've said, God, where do you need me today? where we need to start in the area of serving the poor is right here. Before we begin our journey, we have to ask the question to God, God, where do you need me? Because he will move us all into action, but not all of us will go to the same place. And so first we must seek guidance to listen and learn what the Spirit is wanting us to do. I read a story uh, the other month or so about, it was an anonymous story about a preacher who noticed a family in front of him in, in that New Orleans convenience store that didn't have enough money to pay for the stuff that they had. And so he taps this man on the shoulder and he said, hey, I don't want you to look back. Don't look at me. But here's some money to pay for what you have. And he said, again, I, I just don't turn around and look at me. And so this man gave him the money and he left. Nine years later, this same pastor was back in New Orleans after a church had invited him to come teach. And after the service, a man walked up to the preacher and said, Look, i got a story I want to tell you about how I came to know Christ. Several years ago, my wife and I and my child were absolutely destitute. We had lost everything. We had no jobs. We had no money. We had no place to live. We were living in our car. We had lost all hope. And in that time, we had agreed to a suicide pact that would include our child. However, before we did that on that day, we decided that we want to give our son some food first. And so we stopped by a convenience store to buy him some milk and bread. And while we were standing in line, we realized that we didn't have enough money to pay for the things that we had got. But behind us, a man tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, take this money, but don't see me. And as he left, this man said, Jesus loves me. I don't know who that man was at that time, but we left that store and drove to our designated suicide spot, and we wept for hours. And we couldn't go through with it. And we drove away, and as we drove away, we passed by a church who in the front of their yard had a sign that said, Jesus loves you. And my wife and I decided on Sunday we were going to go to that service. And we were saved on that day. And he told that pastor, he said, when you began speaking this morning, I knew it was you. You have to understand that your act of kindness was much more than a simple deed. Three people are alive today because of it. I'm going to guess that this pastor knew what it meant to listen and learn from the Spirit. That he asked himself the question of God, how can I serve you today? He was ready to act when those opportunities came up. Are we? 
Listen to the Spirit. Learn and respond. God will put you into opportunities for sure to bless other people and in the process be blessed ourselves. The big idea idea today, guys, that God has called us to serve the poor, not just to lift them up, but to bring us lower. And so as we leave today, might we approach serving the poor with an I get to attitude as we let the Spirit of God transform our life, as we challenge our pre-existing ideas of the poor, because the poor remind us of what our hearts towards our Creator should look like and that we should pray and listen to the Spirit that guides us where He needs us. It's just it, Scripture is clear about what we are to be obligated in this area. And look, I know this gets messy in this culture of how we really go about helping the poor. But I'm not here to kind of get into the intricacies of how you go about doing that. I'm here to talk about Scripture. And the Scripture is clear that this is an obligation that we have in heart to help those who are poor and needy in our culture. And we have to go about serving that and doing it. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just confess our shortcomings and our failures in this area. Um, Let us not be afraid to admit where we have fallen short, Lord, because we know that you have offered us all the grace and love that we will ever need to move from that. And so, God, will you just convict our hearts today and, and shower us with love that would move us into a different reality that we might take on the burden of caring for the needy and the poor in this culture. And so, God, we just praise you for a God who does not say, you need to get your stuff together before I help you. That you help us with unmerited grace and love in your heart, even though we don't deserve it. And so remind us of that as we serve the poor. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that you do for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.